I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool top for the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment. Pre-order the new LFC 24-25 season Nike home kit now. You can pre-order it today for delivery from the 16th of May at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Spectacular. How are you, my friend? I am concerned, Mr. Matchett. I am concerned. The season is getting very, very close and Liverpool are still three players short, two starters and one depth player in midfield. So I am I am concerned. How about we turn this around into a different question? And I ask you, on the evidence of so far, would you be expecting, wanting, demanding or none of the above a new sporting director in about a month's time? I would be demanding a new sporting director in about a month's time. I think it's a shambles that we're in this situation that we're in where we had arguably the best sporting director in Europe. Uh, He left because he got tired of being ignored. He was replaced. His replacement left because he got tired of being ignored. We knew he was leaving from early December. We sat on our hands for six months watched as multiple outstanding candidates went elsewhere, didn't bother our holes approaching other outstanding candidates, hired a fella who had retired and is apparently doing the job from the comforts of his fucking villa in Ibiza. And here we are to over two full months into the transfer window. We've signed two players, both of whom had release clauses both of which were done in June. I'm sorry, but the Schmatke experiment has failed miserably. And that sits entirely with Jurgen Klopp. And he was responsible for the failures of last summer and what happened last season. And it's going very much the same way for the season ahead. This was a great opportunity for us if we had gotten the right person in to do that job and the manager had gotten out of his way. Instead, we've got far too many cooks in the kitchen and seemingly nobody willing to make decisions. Not enough broth. (laughs) Um, I, I, I mean, with the Lavia deal, for example, at the minute, we've obviously had reports yesterday as we're recording this, that a third deal has been turned down and they're a few million apart. I'm, I, again, struggle sometimes with clubs, processes and decision-making when you've got someone like Solzlai, for example, who initial reports suggested the club must have been aiming to go lower than his release clause and then in the end just end up paying it anyway. But then for another player who is seemingly equally part of the first team or seemingly equally has a long-term future that you're planning with, and then there's a four, five, six million difference, something like that, which again, you you play around with and you let other clubs come into the equation of. And I, I get that there's obviously a finite amount of money, but I absolutely refuse to believe that these three players at their maximum values, like you say, two of them with release clauses and labias who everybody on the planet has known as 50 million quid this summer, would be wiping it out completely, especially when you then take into account we've made other sales that we weren't really expected to. So it's it's just a very bizarre way of doing things if you're going to save 
I don't know, what, two million quid by the end of it? Two million quid over 24 months by the end of it, maybe? It's it's an odd way of taking a long time to get what you want done and risking not having it done at all. Well, that's the thing. Like, we were being linked to Lavia. We wanted Lavia before Fabinho and Henderson left the club, before they were even linked to moves to Saudi Arabia. We were being linked to Romeo Lavia. It was clear that he was the one that we'd identified as the successor to Fab. So the plan moving into next season was clearly Fab starts, Lavia's there, he'll play probably Europa League and domestic cups and a handful of league games, and we'll develop him. The following season, maybe they split games 50-50, and then in year three, he would take the, take the starting spot. So he was clearly part of the long-term vision. We knew what the price was back then. Whether we wanted to pay it or not makes absolutely no difference. We knew what the price was. Fab has been gone weeks now, and yet we still haven't paid the price for Lavia. Now, because Fabinho left, we need a second number six, and yet we haven't even signed one of them. Now, there is a thought that Liverpool want to bring in Lavia and then they want to wait and see what happens with Real Madrid. That Real's pursuit of Mbappe and the financial fair play restrictions would mean that Real would have to sell somebody. And I went through the squad last week, Carl, and the only three players I could think of who they could potentially sell and raise a significant chunk of money would be Fede Valverde, who I ruled out because I just think he is part of the fabric of Madrid at this point. Rodrigo, who I ruled out because Carlo loves him and I think he'd fit quite well with Mbappe. And Chuameni, who we know that we tried to buy last summer and then decided not to buy anybody when we couldn't get him. And he's the one I do think Real might be okay to sell, but there's no guarantees. And there's also no guarantees that he would pick us if he had other options. Like if United or Bayern were in from, there's no guarantee he picks us over them. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, not just with Lavia, but with any deal at all, like you wait, you gamble, basically. You're allowing other people to come in, you're allowing other transfers which are totally off the radar at the minute to happen and someone needs to do something else and the knock-on effect means you lose that player. You know, it's happened loads and loads of times before and you cannot plan in that detail, in that amount of relying on other clubs and expect things just to go off perfectly without a hitch. I mean, it is very, very just use the word odd. There are many other words we could use, but odd that Liverpool haven't brought in a six as a first order of priority this summer. Um, Once they knew that the bids were coming in for Henderson and Fabinho, you have to then make that the absolute focus, the primary um, objective of everybody who's involved in the discussions of everybody who's involved in the, uh, the decision-making process. Like really, even if Fabinho was a bit delayed and there were a few concerns about it, as soon as Henderson was done, we should have brought one in, whether that was the 50 for Lavia or somebody else or whatever it was. It's it's not devastating going into the season without the players in place, but it is, like you said at the start, concerning. It is worrisome that there's 
this sort of disconnect between what needs to be done and what seems to be happening um when not just that there you know it's, it's one thing to not have any rumors or anything else like that that would be that would be a separate thing you know if there were no rumors at all because liverpool were just completely closed shop like they used to be that would be a completely different thing but we're talking about a scenario here where we know there have been multiple failed bids for a player yeah. that we already know the price of so not getting that business done is a a much bigger more notable at the moment failing and if we don't get him in the end and it is a case of like you know what five six million four million two million something like that in the end plus the fact that you consider the lost cost opportunity of people like phillips and whoever else over the years where we've lost out on several millions because again we want the other side of that extra two million yeah. four million. it's just ongoing nonsense it really is there's so much that could be done so much quicker and you know it's not quickness here cast back to the start of the summer and i said you know, McAllister done early and all the things that were going to come after that. It's not about that kind of quickness. It's about having people in place and learning the system and coming into a brand new midfield. Because irrespective of if we sign someone or not, our midfield against Chelsea is going to be a brand new midfield. Because yeah. we're either going to have someone out of position who's never played there in a league game or we're going to have a new face. So either way, it's all new. So you have to bring these people in to get used to each other, to start building the chemistry, to understand the tactical role, the defensive um, responsibilities they all have, especially in this system with Trent, as early as possible. Do it now in between what's going to come, midweek games, international break where people are going to be away, and then we're straight back into European football where we play on stupid Thursday nights now. It's just, it's going to be so much more difficult to make that integration happen smoother and quicker as it could have been done a month ago with one of those players at least. Well, that's the thing. Like, we delayed so long on the Fabinho deal. How didn't we get someone in the door before he left? I just, I don't understand what the logic was there. We had the money for Lavia, apparently, because we wanted to buy him before Fabinho left. So with the added money from Henderson, how do we not just go straight away and buy him then in mid-July? It makes no sense. What's even more concerning, like, because at least we know that they are pursuing Lavia. So we know that they are at least working to get someone in in that position. And we've had the the links to Andre of Fluminense as well. So, you know, it does look like they want two in. So that's a positive at least. There hasn't been a single name mentioned for the left-sided centre-back role, which every journalist has said Liverpool want to fill this year. And it was clear that we wanted Levi Colwell whether there was ever even the slightest chance of that, I don't know. But it now looks like we wasted two months hoping more than anything that he might become available and not one single other centre-back has been linked to us. So, you know, that needs to take place as well. And, and it needs to take place as a matter of priority because Andy Robertson looks in absolute shambles in that role. And it's doing him no favours at all. The, if you saw his heat map for yesterday... It looks far more like a left wingers in a four four two than a left side centre back in a back three. And defensively he's all over the place because he's all over the place. Everybody else is all over the place trying to cover for him. They Darmstadt's goal yesterday was entirely down to Andy Robertson pressing out of position. But on the topic of centre backs, you mentioned Nat Phillips. First of all, why is he still at the club? But secondly, Phil Hay, who's probably the most reliable Leeds United journalist, you know, in the industry, he reported at the end of June that they were in talks with us for Nat Phillips. Regardless of who the manager coming in was, they wanted Nat Phillips. Daniel Farker was appointed on the 4th of July. 4th of July. Today's the, what, 9th? Yeah, the 8th. The 8th of August. And Nat Phillips still hasn't made his move to Leeds. Like, why is he still at the club? What are we doing? Nothing we've done this summer since Dominic Sabozlai arrives makes a whole lot of sense. Like, I, I was all on board with selling the two boys to Saudi, especially Henderson, who to, to get money for him and to get him off the wage bill and not have to pay him to go was massive. But... <clears throat> to let Fab go without having someone lined up to walk through the door as soon as Fab was gone, 
it's amateur hour. It really is. I would add that even without having anybody lined up, as soon as that bid coming in for Fabinho arrived, I, I'd be accepting and, and ushering him out the door. I really would have, even if I had nobody lined up. But I would have gone and got something done a lot faster. If you're getting 40 for Fabinho and the person you've earmarked for 10 years worth of that position is 50, I'm sorry, but just do it. it the, the wages at this point of their respective careers would obviously be skewed towards Fabinho. You're not losing out overall cost-wise. No. So it, it really, I, I don't understand the process of thinking, yeah, this is the one we want. This is the guy we think is so good at a young age with minimal game time, let's remember, behind him. But we've earmarked him to be well over £40 million worth of player who we think is like a six, seven, eight-year potential player. But actually, no, we're not going for the extra 10% on top of that after our 44 million bid is rejected. It, it just makes no sense. I'm sorry. It makes no sense at all. And like you said, I mean, yeah, Lavi is going to cost 10 million more than we got for Fab. But in year one, the wage difference between them will likely be 5 million. And in year two, the wage difference between them would be 5 million. And if I'm not mistaken, Fabinho had three years left in his contract. So over the first three years, now we probably would give Lavia a new contract in year three, but it wouldn't be to the extent of what Fab was on. It would probably be from 100 grand to maybe 150 or 160. So over those first three years, we would actually be making money or be saving money on that transaction. So it is all just very, very strange. Um, And also, you know, like, I, like you, would have been driving Fabinho to the airport the minute that Al-Etihad or Al-Etihad Al-Etihad made the offer for him. Instead, what took place was weeks and weeks of delays. Like, David Ornstein reported on July 13th that they were set to make a concrete bid. That bid, I believe, came in on the 15th. He didn't go until the 31st. It's over two weeks from when that bid came in to when he left. There's absolutely no excuse for that. And I know there was some nonsense about payment terms and all that. That stuff should have been sorted out immediately. We've just, we haven't, we had a very poor July. And it seems like, I mean, the thing with, with, with Schmatke as well is he had nothing to do with the Alexis McAllister deal. That was all Julian Ward. So Schmatke's entire tenure at Liverpool has been going to Leipzig, seeing if they'd take less and then just paying the release clause. That's it. That's all he's done. You or me could have done that. <laughs> we could have done that, Carl. It wouldn't have been hard. Will you take? No, or you won't. Okay, here's the release clause. Right, thanks now. Bye bye. And back to beat that we go. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the guy doesn't pass the sniff test at all. And uh, yeah, direct new director of football in September, please. L- let's go on to the purpose of today's pod. We'll do Chelsea later in the week. Um, and the, to, to be honest now, the only reason I'm not completely freaked about the midfield for the first game of the season is they're still short a number of things that they needed to do in this window as well. So, you know, I, I'm sure they'll get them done, but they haven't addressed many of their actual needs yet. So we've got some questions on Discord. We've got five of them um, from Nathan, Daryl, Fabio, Ragev, and Dudek. Oh, I'm sorry, we have six of them. There's one from uh, Jay Carlos as well. So let's jump into these. Um, question for this week's pod after the Henderson and Fab rumors. So this, this one is quite old from Nathan. We, we just missed it. Who are your absolute must-keep players in the current squad? So players that under no circumstance would you be allowing to leave? Okay, am I going first? You can go first. Alison? Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, Curtis Jones, I don't need to go into detail there, but, you know, Allison, um, that's it. <laughs> Trent, I suppose I keep Trent. There are circumstances I'd allow him to leave, but I think I would keep Trent if all those circumstances were down to me. But other than him, Allison, that's it. I'd have quite a few more. Um, Under no circumstances, bids-wise and everything, that, that you would let go. Allison, Ibu, Dominic, Alexis, Trent. So you're telling me if you, right now, middle of August, got an 85 million bid in for Solar's Life. No, I wouldn't take it. Not a chance. You wouldn't? Not a chance. There's not a player out there you would go for the same role and take a 25 million profit on nothing. Nope. Not one. For that role, no. Absolutely not. I mean, I I think some of these players are exceptional. I I have no interest in selling Kanate. I think he can be one of the best. But under no circumstances you'd sell them? No. I'd consider... The only reason I'd, I'd even consider selling... Virgil and Mo is their age. But otherwise, they would be in my untouchable group as well. I mean, quality-wise, I agree. But, you know, if Saudi come in and say, it's 150 million quid for Mohamed Salah, any Saudi club wants now, that. Now, I will say, at this point in this window, there's no, there's no price I would sell Salah for. In the first week of July, I'd have strongly considered it. But not in August with the season five days away. No hope. But, but you're, you're given here the question of, in any circumstance, absolutely yeah. So it can be next summer. Yeah, so next summer I would consider selling Mo, which is why he wasn't on my list. Same would go for Virgil. If the Saudis come in next summer and said, we'll give you 70 million for Virgil, I'd say, well, what way do you want him wrapped up? But now there's not a hope I'd even consider it. Okay, well, if it's now for the remainder of this window, I guess that is a very different question, yes. And in that case, I would have to add a number of them to mind. But I wouldn't sell Ibu, I wouldn't sell Dominic. I'd be less... I think Alex is going to be great for us, but if someone offered us 80 million from next summer, I'd probably take it, but he'd be on my... He'd be close to my list of untouchables, but... Ibu, Dominic, Allison, and Trent would be untouchable in any scenario. Any scenario. Um, and that's probably it. But for the short term, mm-hmm. yeah, Darwin, I wouldn't take any money for Cody, Diaz, Virgil, Mo. Yeah, that would be it. Well, mine for this one would be Nunez, Salah, Diaz, Dominic, Jones, McAllister, Bastich. Can't afford anyone else to go who plays that role. Trent, Van Dijk, Kanate, and Nelson. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. So Jones would be on your untouchable list. Yeah, I've no interest in losing any more midfielders at this point, thanks. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Um, Right, let's move on. Uh, Daryl D. 
when Dave mentioned Sepp going on loan again, it got me thinking, are there examples where Liverpool have had players go on multiple loans and then actually make it at the club? I love this question. Um, he also says, if that won't fill a pod, which is not going to because it's just one question in, in, a, in a group, um, feel free to expand it to other PL teams. So we can look at other Premier League teams for a couple of examples. Like Beckham went on a couple of loans, didn't he, at United? And he, he obviously made it there. Just Preston, wasn't it, for him? Was it just Preston or did he go somewhere sure else as well? I think he just had a short one at Preston, just a handful of games, I think it was. Oh, it might have been like seven games. Mm. Um, For us, the one who I always look at is Neil uh, Stephen Warnock, um, who had about 730 loan spells and finally started to make appearances for our first team at 23. And then um, we sold him. <laughs> we did sell him a few years later. But he did, I think he made 67, I think it was 67 mm. appearances, which for quite a long time was the most of any academy graduate after like Gerard, basically. And then Martin Kelly, I think around the same, maybe he made a few around that same sort of. Um, Martin Kelly got 62. Yeah. So just, just fewer, but then depending on whether or not you count Sterling as an academy or a signing, cause he came in at, you know, 15 and then was playing by late 16. He was obviously the next one. And then it's Trent, but for a long time, Warnock was, was the best of our, academy graduates and on 67 appearances that's not great no no not great at all and, and I wouldn't count Raheem as an academy graduate because we paid 5 million quid yeah. to buy him um, but you know he made 129 appearances in all competitions so yeah it was basically Stephen Warnock and then Trent now Martin Kelly would have smashed that record of Warnock's but he just couldn't stay fit yeah. um, basically missed the better part of two full seasons before before leaving. I don't, other than him, and I wouldn't even say he really made the Liverpool because, you know, he was, what was he, two years in the first team, really? And then he was moved on. Um, Part of the Champions League squad. Um, he's some really good performances and important games along the way. But yeah, he was never obviously a, a guaranteed starter for an entire season, that's for no. sure. No. No, so I, I I would struggle then to think of, of who was the last. I mean, if you if you think of the, the academy players that came through in the 90s, you had Gerard right at the tail end, you had Carragher, you had Owen, you had Fowler, you had McManaman through the 90s, and none of them went on loan. Yeah. Um, Carragher probably could have done with a couple of loans in those early days just to get him games. But the others, Gerard Owen, Fowler and McManaman, they kind of broke into the team at, you know, 17, 18, 19 and were just in the team. And that was it. Uh, whereas Carragher had a bit of a stop start at beginning to his career. Um, no, I, I don't know of anyone. Warnock is the best example of someone that had a bunch of loans and then got a decent amount of playing time, but never was able to establish himself as first choice. Um, played quite a bit as well in, in the cup season after the the Champions League season, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Played played 30 games in both seasons, actually. Um, it was at the time when we had Traore and Risa both playing left back and then Risa sometimes left mid. And Traore obviously sometimes left back, and then there's the third centre back when Rafa centre back. Yeah, so it was like two from three usually on the pitch. But Warnock, he had a couple of runs where he was, you know, the first choice, but mm. still injuries and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, he would be he would be probably the only one that's uh, that's gotten. And like you said, he's the the, the most appearances since Gerrard until Trent, and obviously Curtis has made more as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, other than that, no. Generally, with Liverpool, if you have multiple loans, you're you're not going to make it at the club. Um, I'm thinking about other clubs now, and I I don't don't remember anybody at Arsenal that would have had multiple loans and then made it. Though, if if Balogun were to make an impact this year and end up staying. 
um, he would be he would be one. Uh, Eddie and Kathy had one loan. Smith Rowe had a couple, but they weren't successful loans. That's no. Um, I don't. I can't think of anybody at Arsenal. So you'd go to United next. Again, they did. They don't tend to loan. Beckham got a loan, but none of the other class in '92 did. There hasn't really been up until Rashford another. Well, Fletcher. I don't think Darren Fletcher went on loan at all, did he? He might. Harry Kane's my show. Oh, that's a brilliant yeah, show. That's the best one. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, Harry Kane is is a great shout because what did he have? Four loans from Tottenham. Villa, yeah, it's Norwich. Leighton Orient, Millwall and Leicester. Did he not go to Norwich? Oh, sorry, and Norwich, yeah. So Leighton Orient, Millwall, Norwich and Leicester. Um, He basically spent two full seasons out on loan. And But the, the, the mad thing with Kane is Harry Kane at 18, 19, 20, was not seen as a huge prospect. Like the idea that he would go on and have the career that he's had wasn't something anybody was considering at that point. He just wasn't seen to be that level of talent. And he got his opportunity under Pochettino and it's now been, you know, nine years of him being a one-season wonder. Um, and smashing in goals at a ludicrous rate. He's 47 goals shy of Alan Shearer's Premier League record. He's the England record holder. And, uh, yeah, he's he's the prime example. Um, he's the best. There are a few who've had, like, the odd loan, but none who go on serial loans anymore. I don't no, think. I mean, Reese James had a good loan to Wigan. And Mason mounted a couple, didn't he? Did Mason mounted a couple as well. So, yeah. Um, so there are a few. Tammy Abraham was obviously on one of the same loans as him and went to Villa as well. Villa and Swansea and Bristol. So Tammy can... had a bunch of loans, but again, you know, didn't really didn't really last a long term at Chelsea. Uh, Mount is a good shout. Mount had at least two, if not three, loans. Uh, Vietas Derby was there another one in there can't think but um... I think you know this this discussion as a whole is a little bit skewed now because the loan market is for different purposes for different clubs now as well like you can get like a Man City and you know loaning out players for four five six years in a row to make a profit on them at the end of that they're probably never really seen as first team material but players who they can make a a big profit on potentially, you know, and mm. it takes a couple of good seasons. You look at someone like Aaron Moy, for example, who was there for a while, had multiple loans out, eventually got himself, was it Huddersfield signed in permanently in the end after one of the loans? So they made money on it, even though they really never expected to have him play for them. Um, uh, oh my God, completely forgot his name now. The defensive midfielder just signed for Girona after like six years out on loan in Spain. Oh, Jan Hel um, Herrera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, lots and lots of them like that now who they will make a profit on and they'll be successful loans mm. and play well year after year, but they're never going to be in the Man City team, for example. We've actually got a player out on loan who's been, uh, I think he must be on about his sixth loan now and has never played for us, Anderson Arroyo. Anderson before Arroyo. That. Before that, we had the Brazilian kid, Alan. Alan, yeah. Never we had um, Teo Awani. He must have had four or five loans. Yeah. So we have had some successes in the loans, let's say, and then moved them on, but we've never had them come back and really be a first team. Like even like Marco Grujic, for example, you could classify mm. that as a success because of the the sell-on and a one the same, but not to come back and be a, a guaranteed starter, let's say. Yeah, and Harry Wilson would be another one that was a success for us because yeah. he had... He had six loans. Crew, Hull, Derby, Bournemouth, Cardiff, and Fulham. And obviously made the Fulham deal permanent. Um, it is funny. We loaned him to Crew in 2015 and then didn't loan him again until 2018. 
for some reason. Um, right, moving on. Fabio, uh, would you be surprised if Chelsea brought in both Nico Jackson and El Yawahi? Uh, when I've seen s- some tweets about him being linked to Chelsea, immediately thought about your prospect list and the comparison between the two. <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised. I-, I think they're, I think they're quite different in a lot of ways because I think, I I think Elia is a pure nine, and I don't think Nico is a nine. I think he's like a nine and a half, more a more a young men's son than a Harry Kane type of guy. I think he does his best work with a striker. Like I, I thought he was really good with Jared Moreno when they played together at Villarreal. Um, I think he's a really, really talented player, but I think he'll, he'll work best with a proper nine. Like if they do get Vlahovic in this window, I can see him and Jackson combining quite well, especially with Nkunku and maybe it's Mudrik is the, is the fourth attacking player. Um, but I think if they buy Wahi, I think he almost certainly goes on loan yeah. for the season ahead. Yeah, I agree. I think if Wahi goes to a club at that level, unless they only have one number nine, then yes, he can be the second. But otherwise, it's probably out on loan. Otherwise, you make a move to a team in a bigger league, but below the bigger clubs, let's say, you know, whether it was to go to where, let's say Villa had sold. Um, his name God what's happened in my head today Watkins uh, yes Ollie Watkins thank you had they sold him I could see him going there for example and being a regular starter um, but as a as a Chelsea signing I think that would be straight out on loan yeah and we've seen you know the Angel Gabriel he's going to or Angelo is Angelo Gabriel he's going to go on loan to Strasbourg I think um They've already loaned one or two players there as it is. And I think that the young midfielder, uh, Odechukwu, he's going to go on loan as well. But there's some talk he could go to Leeds on loan um, in part exchange for bringing in Tyler Adams. Now, I'm sure when he decided to leave Wren for Chelsea, he probably didn't think he was going to go on loan and play in a second tier. Um, That probably wasn't part of his bingo card. But, you know, this is the risk you take when you sign for a club that don't really seem to have much of a plan. They just seem to be throwing money around left, and left, right and centre. Um, so, no, it wouldn't be a surprise. Um, I'll, I'll come back to Ragev's one because it might take the longest. We'll do Dudek 4's question next. It's the last minute of the Champions League final. Now, for this season, Carl, we will say it's the Europa League final. <laughs> we are 1-0 down and suddenly through on goal. Which player would you want this chance to fall to? 1-0 down, last minute. We break through, in on goal. Who do you want with the, with the ball at his feet? Right. I need you to give me context on... We break through on goal. Is this a bobbling ball in the box which bounces through to someone who's free? Or is this we're on the halfway line and suddenly someone bursts? So Bosley and McAllister with a lovely bit of interplay. Dominic lifts the ball over the defensive line. It's a bouncing ball. You're about 25 yards out from goal. You're running on to it full speed. 25 yards from goal and it's bouncing. You've got, you're going to have one touch and then you're going to have to shoot. One touch and shoot is Mo Salah. I would go Diogo Jota and I don't know why. Not I just feel one. like, I just Maybe. feel like touch and shoot, put it in the corner. Jota might be the guy for that moment. Have you seen some pace that I haven't over preseason, which enables him to stay, stay clear of the last well, defender? That's why it's one touch and shoot. <laughs> I mean, the same the reason, reason if I was going to say Cody, it would need to be one touch and shoot. The only reason I can think of you're saying Jota is because it's uh, if you wrote the league, so the, the fringe is playing. <laughs> Guy has suggested Joe Gomez. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a fantastic clearance, in fairness. Um, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, 
but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I mean, to be fair, there are a number of players in our squad I would feel comfortable. I would obviously be comfortable if it was Mo. I'd be comfortable if it was Diogo. I'd be comfortable if it was Cody. I'd be comfortable if it was Dominic or Alexis. Um, (laughs) It's very, very interesting, isn't it, that out of the seven players you name, none of them are the many, many millions of pounds centre-forward. I mean, if it was one touch, as in a first-time finish... He'd be he'd be high on my list because he looks so much more confident now in preseason than he did last season. So I'm expecting a big year from Darwin, but in that scenario, I don't know. He did have some great finishes last season, so you know. Look, if it's him, I'm not worried. Um, I, I, again, I wouldn't be. I'd be confident if it was Diaz, but. They, they would be at the bottom end of that list. I, I would take the two midfielders over them just because Dominic's ball striking, he, he, he's just touching it and he's putting it right in the top corner. I think Alexis has the right mentality for that opportunity. And the other, the other two attackers, the other three attackers rather, I would just view them as being more, more calm in front of goal. Hmm. I mean, this is kind of... Um... Obviously, it wasn't last last minute, but uh, Jared Bowen in the Europa Conference League final last season, very similar sort of situation, isn't it? Running through one touch and you've got to get a finish. It wasn't a good finish. And that's the thing. It doesn't always have to be the best striker of the ball. You just need to either have the bobble or the fortune or the goalkeeper positions himself slightly differently and mm. you can beat him. But Darwin has not had the greatest one-on-one successes when he's had that kind of opportunity so far. No, but I mean, look, in fairness, we're talking about a Europa League final. So Darwin will have scored 40 goals by then. So he'll probably be much more confident. So maybe the answer is Darwin. Um, (laughs) Right. Jay Carlos. Seeing as any incomings probably won't feature too prominently in the first four matches to the international break. How do you think Klopp will approach that stretch in terms of lineups and formation? And how would you approach it? So I think Klopp and I would approach this in the same way, but for different reasons. I think Klopp would do so because this is his formation and he absolutely thinks it's the right one. And I would do so because it's the formation and the system and the setup is fine, but the personnel are not absolutely fine. And I would play them to make that point in the opening four games because we're going to concede a lot of goals and a lot of chances. So out of the available options at the minute, I would start Curtis as the number six. One, to show that he has, uh, let's say, earned an opportunity in the team and doesn't have to do it all over again because we signed eights. Two, because he's not a six and nobody we've got is a six and we're going to be shown that in the first few games. And mm. if you play him there you know, at the start, then you will see he's doing as well as he can, but that isn't elite level number six play. And I'm sorry, but that's what we're going to get for now. Yeah. Uh, and thirdly, I would play it just for the absolute carnage because we've got a couple of games there where teams do tend to be a bit open. Their system and setup is not the most refined that it needs to be over the longer haul. Obviously, Chelsea in rebuild mode as well. Um, So I am all here for the chaos in the early weeks. Yeah, I mean, our first four games, Chelsea away, Bournemouth home, Newcastle away, and Aston Villa at home. Um. It's a, it's a tough start. Like it's 
It's a team that will have ambition for top four who are spending ludicrous amounts of money. Um, I believe they're over the billion pound mark in terms of spending once Caicedo comes in or if Caicedo comes in. Um, when you, when you include the money, you know, paid to sack Thomas Tuchel to hire Graham Potter and then to sack Graham Potter, I believe you're, you, they'd be well over the hundred million mark, uh, w- with that. So, you know, but they're, they're still a, a very much a work in progress. They came into the summer with three big needs. Upgrade the goalkeeper, find a reliable source of goals, and get a bowl winner. And as things stand, they have done none of those things. They've signed some players. They haven't addressed any of those issues. We knew Nkunku was coming in, so I'm not including him in any of that. But for now, they haven't addressed their three big issues. Robert Sanchez is in no way an upgrade on Kepa. Kepa's not very good, but Robert Sanchez isn't either. Um, so I think we can go there with Curtis as the six and beat them. I think we should beat Bournemouth at home. Tune is going to be very difficult. And I, I wonder if this season we start to see a more typical Unai Emery approach where they aren't very good away from home. Um but I, I think you can get away with Curtis, certainly for the first two games, Chelsea and Bournemouth. I would like Lavia to be in and starting by Newcastle. He would have, if we could get him done by Friday of this week, he would have two full weeks of preparation before that Newcastle game. Um, and we should have Stefan back and we should have Thiago back, fully fit and ready to play in those games as well. So we'll have more options. The bigger question for me, Carlos, what would you do defensively? Would you continue to play this three box two? Or sorry, three box three? Or would you play a four three three? Because for me, if Andy Robertson's going to be in the team, it has to be a back four with him as a conventional left back. It has to be because he cannot play in the other system. Um, I mean, again, I would probably be inclined to play the box, play the three and get it wrong a lot of times because it needs to be seen. It needs to be seen in in not just mid-season where you're already halfway through and things have already been up and down, but after what should have been a season of summer of preparation. So (laughs) I don't really know what else to say here. I think if you're, if you're, if you're backing a system, you have to play it and then see it goes wrong and react accordingly. That's, Mm. that's my view on the situation. If they've already decided that that's how we're going to do it, do it then, but you're going to take responsibility when it goes wildly wrong at times. And it will because we've already seen it. It's not. Yeah, really when we active. get when we get pumped four 0 by Newcastle, it's it's not at the minute. After what is now what six weeks of supposedly diligently working on it and in, in, mm. in training and all the rest of it, markedly different from anything we saw during the competitive action last season. And no, I, agree. To I believe agree. that it's just going to change because it's competitive in a few days' time is nonsense. Yeah, I agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, right, last question then. Uh, this is from Ragov. He wants us to rate the following eight players. Baggio, Totti, Raul, Del Piero, Rui Costa, Zola, Zidane, and Burkamp. So i get myself a pen and a piece of paper, and I'm going to write these down in order for myself. Um if you want to go first, if you if you're ready, or else what what, uh, what are we rating on favoritism or the best player, just Who's actual best, the best player one through eight, right? I think the overall best player on there was Baggio. I've got him number two. I've got Zidane number two. Yeah, so we've got the same top two. Uh, these are all great players. It should be pointed out. So, like I'm gonna, the, the I'm eighth guy on this list is 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 a great player. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do these. I've decided as best at their best. So not with 
longevity whereby Zidane would obviously beat Baggio there. I'm just doing best at their best. That's absolutely fine. Uh, Zidane and Baggio are definitely the top two. They're the only two who were the best player in the world at their best. Zidane was the best player in the world from probably 99, 2000, because Ronaldo had the injuries up until probably 04, when Ronaldinho would have surpassed him. Baggio was the best player in the world between, I would say, Laudrup from probably 92 to about 95, and then way ahead a year, and then it was Ronaldo for for four or five years. Um, hmm. Are you going for three? Right, number three, I've got Raul. I think at his very best, he's the third best player on this list. I think when you look at what he did for Real Madrid for such an incredibly long time, the goals, the creativity, the versatility in being able to play as one of a front two on his own up front, or as he did for a time as a 10 behind Miatovic and Suker, I, I think he's, I think he was phenomenal at his very, very best. Um, you look at some of the goal scoring seasons from 98, 99 through to 0203, never below 25 goals in all competitions. Also had three other seasons with 20, sorry, five other seasons with 20 plus per Real. Sacrificed quite a lot in terms of the positions he played, in terms of deferring to the Galacticos when they arrived in. I, I would have him third. I'm very, very close between third and fourth. I think there's not much in them for me, but I have gone for Raul third as well, same as you. Okay. Who do you have number four? Alessandro Del Piero. Ooh, we have a difference then. He is not in my top four. Now, <clears throat> this is the age-old debate. Totti <laughs> versus Del Piero. So I've gone for Totti. I was always team ADP. Yes, yeah, I was always team Totti. Um, two, like again, there's no, there's nobody on this list who wasn't a great player. So it is, it's marginal differences. Now I've got someone between Totti and Del Piero, so I've got Totti four and Del Piero six, but Del Piero could easily have been three. I, I think the only real difference is the top two are at a slightly different level to the other the other uh the other six here. Yeah. So I've got Totti four, you've got Del Piero four. Who's your number five? I'm gonna guess your number five before I give you mine, who I think okay. you've got between Totti and Del Piero. Okay. Dennis Burkamp. Yes. <laughs> I have Burkamp number five, one of the most enjoyable players I've ever had the pleasure of watching play. was fortunate enough to see him live a few times. And when he came to Arsenal, I think he elevated what was expected of great players in, in the Premier League. Um, his goal collection is phenomenal. His creativity, everything about him. It's like In terms of technical perfection, he might be the best player the league has seen. Just that that level of technique that he had, I'm not sure we've seen anybody else. Even your KDBs and your Gerrards, I don't think they had that level of technical impeccability that he had. I I think of all the players on this list, Zinedine Zidane is the only one who was more beautifully elegant in the action of touching the ball than Bagcamp. Yeah. Bagcamp's also my number five. Yeah. So I have... Del Piero then number six. Do you have Totti number six? Let's say yes, although I yeah, I'm back and forth, but yeah, go on then. We'll give him we'll put Totti six. Okay. So we then we then have the same bottom two. And this was this is tough because 
they're they're quite different players. They both played the number ten, but one of them was more a midfielder. The other was more a a forward player. Like yeah, Rui Costa was absolutely a midfield player. Gianfranco Zola was a second striker. I've gone Rui Costa above Gianfranco Zola. And I am entirely biased because of the Fiorentina Rui Costa Batistuta combination, which was one of the most enjoyable things to watch when I was young. I love Zola. And I, I again, he was tremendous. But I just think he's a little bit below, maybe a little, yeah, he's a little bit below everybody else on this list. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think um, in terms of his peak, maybe there was um, a bit of not being boosted like he was, you know, riding on the coattails because everybody was of this player. But when he played with Maradona, that mm. was obviously uh, an elevation of what overall his team as an attacking force was capable of doing. And I do think that maybe, you know, after leaving Palmer for Chelsea, even at Palmer a little bit maybe, it, there was a tiny, tiny gap between what Zola did on a regular basis maybe and what some of the other players on this list did on a regular basis. So since I'm going for their best at their best, I am going to put Zola above um, Rui Costa. Rui. Yeah. Because I think maybe Zola's just impetuousness and individuality is, for want of a better word, better than Rui Costa's exemplary playmaking and striking from range and all that kind of thing. I just think the individuality is maybe a little bit better. Mm. But, you know, Zola, I guess, like you said, with a few of the others, don't think you can argue too much either way, even if you'd have put Rui Costa a place or two higher or Totti a place or two higher or lower or anything like that. There are some top, top talents on this little list here. And so many of them playing in Spain at different points too. Uh, Spain, sorry, Italy in different points too, which again, yeah. from a, a 20 years ago list standpoint, is something we have referred to on Scout quite a lot of times. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, Raul is the only one that didn't play in Italy. Obviously, Zidane with Juve. Baggio spent his whole career there. Totti spent his whole career with Roma. Burkamp had a, a, a spell at, at Inter Milan, which is quite unfairly judged because he was better than people gave him credit for. Del Piero obviously spent the vast majority of his career with Juve. Um, Rui with, with Fiorentina and then Milan and obviously Zola like you said with Napoli and with Parma and he was part of that first great Parma team with him and Brolin and uh, Espria as a front three and they were incredibly fun to watch they didn't have the um, the same success as the, the later 90s team but they did win a UEFA Cup in 94-95 and they were just, they were very, very fun to, to watch. There was there was few teams in Europe that were, were more entertaining. And if you look at the team now, this is, I think Brolin was injured for the final, but um, Apollini, long-time quality defender. Fernando Couto, Portuguese legend. Uh, Benarivo played a long, long career. Dino Baggio had a long career. Roberto Sensini had a very, very long career. Uh, Brolin was, was injured for the first leg, came back onto the bench for the second leg. Uh, no risks taken. But you know what's always interesting? When you look back at the European finals from, say, 86 to 06, especially in the, in the era when the Champions League wasn't as blown out and expanded, is how many times you got a UEFA Cup final with two Italian clubs and how many years there were at least two of the three finals had an Italian club in them. It was it was incredible dominance. Um, and, and a lot of Italian teams had great success in that time. But, yeah, I mean, look, like I said, Zola was, was so much fun. I, when he came to England and he had this kind of, this impish nature to him. And obviously he was quite small, five foot six. And there was a feeling when he first came over, oh, he might be a bit too small for English football. And then he just said about embarrassing defenders on a regular basis. And I watched Dennis Irwin's pretty much his whole career. 
And I've watched quite a bit of it retrospectively as well. And the only player I, I saw embarrass Dennis Irwin when Dennis Irwin was still in his prime was Gianfranco Zola, who turned him inside out and put him on his arse on the edge of the penalty area in a it was like his, I think it was his second season in the league. And there was just something different about him. He just had like a mastery of the ball. And it was like it was always under a spell. Whatever he wanted it to do, it would do whether he touched it or not. It was he was so much fun to watch. And um I would still argue to this day, he is the best player the Chelsea Football Club have ever had. I I would put him over Eden Hazard and Frank Lampard and, and any of the rest of them as an individual player. I think he was the best of the bunch that Chelsea have ever had. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, Chelsea fans still feel that way, to be fair. Um, certainly in terms of attacking players anyway. So I don't think that, like I say, any of them being higher or lower rated on here would be out of the question at all, especially if you're just going by favourite moments or outrageous goals or anything like that. I think... Zola's back heel is probably still one of the most played replays of, of yeah. the 90s anyway. So, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Bergkamp has a couple of those himself, of course. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the best goals scored by any of these players, there there's just a, a litany of world-class efforts. And um, it, it just further goes to my point that as much as people might want to blow smoke up the arses of modern day players from a talent and technical point of view, I don't think the players of today, obviously with certain exceptions are as good as what we had in the nineties. I mean, give me any of the players on that list over Neymar over Eden Hazard. I just think they're a, a different caliber of, of individual talent. And I think a big part of it is back then you had to be really special to make it into a top academy and get that top level coaching. And now because the academies are all so massive, I, I think it's a bit easier. And I think lesser talented players get through the cracks a bit more. Um Anyway, that's all our questions. I think we're we're done with those. So is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, I had the Trent Alexander-Arnold interview go up yesterday, uh, on Monday as we're speaking today. Um, so that, if people haven't read it yet, ahead of the new season, talks about his role and obviously what the team are going to be going for and lots of other things. Nice, nice to speak to him one-on-one for a little while. Um, Actually, I very much enjoyed that question from Ragav. So I think for the start of the next pod, which will be the Chelsea scouted back to our first normal one of the new season, mm. I might come up with a little list like this for you to do just to, just before we delve into the teams. Sounds good. Sounds good. I would definitely be in favour of that. Anything that brings back the nostalgia is good with me. Uh, before we go, we are running a competition. I say we... I mean, Anfield Index in general. You can thank Eddie Gibbs and Gags and Greg for this one. Um, we are running our annual Discord Season Predictions competition. The prize fund for a 100% score is £1,000 in cash. Now, if there's more than one 100% score, the £1,000 gets split between you um, from our sponsors at Liberty Shield. What you have to predict is the top four in order, the bottom three in order, the Premier League Golden Boot winner, the FA Cup winner, and the EFL Cup winner. So you've got to predict 10 10 things, including the Premier League winner, for this competition. Now, as a bit of fun, you can also predict the Champions League and Europa League winners, but they're not part of the, uh, the actual competition. So... Answers have to be in on Discord by 8 p.m. on Friday the 11th of August before Burnley versus Manchester City kicks off. So top four in order, bottom three in order, 
Golden Boot winner, FA Cup winner, and EFL Cup winner for your chance to win a thousand pounds. So check that out when you get a chance. It's in Discord. And uh, we'll see you later this week when we talk about Chelsea and Todd Bowley's circus. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.